0: Well, if you're starting to feel the pressure of having not found the, the, the right gift for that special person in your life, um, I'm going to help you with that. You're probably going to do better than this guy. Uh, listen to this writer whose article appeared in the Arkansas Democrat. And so he says, women are very touchy about certain gifts. As I discovered years ago, after buying my girlfriend a catcher's mitt for her birthday. It, it seemed to me to be a particularly thoughtful gift, especially since she claimed not to be getting enough physical exercise. This gets worse. <laughs> but apparently she didn't see, that, it, didn't see it that way. The minute she unwrapped it, she ran sobbing from the room. At first, I thought those were tears of joy streaming down her face, and I figured she was overwhelmed at being the first in her crowd to have a catcher's mitt, that sort of thing. Or I figured she was just so excited she couldn't wait to get outside and work on her throws to second base. But when she didn't return after a few hours, I got the hint. Here, I'd spend all that time running around from one sporting goods store to another to the next and trying to find the perfect gift. And I mean, we're talking the Yachty Molina model here, top of the line. And she calls me insensitive. I mean, you'd think I'd gave her a year's subscription to Field and Stream or a box of shotgun shells or something like that, which everybody knows should be saved for Christmas stocking stuffers. Personally, I think she just has anger issues in her and took it out on me. Not that I'm trying to play amateur psychologist or anything. See how good you got it, ladies? Well, I got I want to start with a couple Christmas bad jokes, is that's okay? <laughs> All right, I'll just save them for next week then. i got to give you one at least. What do you call an elf that can sing and dance? An elfus. Oh! On to the message. <laughs> you better be good today or I'll pull out another one. <laughs> there are only four chapters. Four chapters in the Bible about Christmas. It's really about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus that is the focus of the entire Bible. But for that to happen, there had to be a birth, right? So John and Mark don't even mention the story of Christmas. Matthew and Luke is what we always have to figure into our our uh, uh, study of Christmas. And they do give the accounts in the first two chapters of each of their works. And they didn't write these accounts in order for us to have a holiday, even though that's nice. They wrote it so that we could change our lives by it. There's something in these passages, the first two chapters of those two Gospels, that we can glean from and begin to apply in our lives that will feed us spiritually, that will make us stronger uh, in our quest to follow Jesus. All the Scripture is God-breathed. And it's all good for reproof and correction. And that includes the, the stories of, of Christmas found in Matthew and Luke. One mentions the shepherds, the other doesn't. One mentions the wise men, the other doesn't. Each pointed out particular situations and points to help us understand some things about God. And that's what I want to get to today, is what can we learn about God, our Lord, who loves us so much, what can we learn about Him through their writings? Matthew and Luke want us to see some things about the star. They both want us to see some things about the wise men, the shepherds, the stable, and the manger. So what can we learn from these things? Maybe there's a message in these things. Now, as you know, I've been at this a while now, it's been about 30 years, and Christmas rolls around every year, right? And I got four chapters to work with, and I got to come up with. I counted it up this last week, and there's over 75 messages about Christmas that I've been doing. And I'm thinking every year, God, what else is there? I think they know everything, and and I think I've seen everything. And I got this whisper that was a little louder than a whisper. You haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> and so I'm hoping that there will be something that comes out today that will strengthen you, or we encourage you, maybe something that you either haven't seen before, or you're looking at it at a different angle, and it's right where you are, right where you're living. So that's my prayer for us today. Let's look at the star and the wise men first. Matthew brings this out in the second chapter. In verse 1 it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star. We saw his star. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now before you get into the traditional mindset of what really happened, um, sometimes our traditions aren't real close to accurate. (laughs) Um, Sorry to spit all over you again. (laughs) Um, But it wasn't three decked out rich guys that were the wise men from the Middle East. You know how long three rich guys decked out going across that rugged desert would have lasted with dangerous bandits all along the routes? They wouldn't have lasted very long. And there weren't just three. There were three gifts, and we in tradition, because there are three gifts, we just think that there were three wise men that scripture never says that. There weren't just three, there was probably a whole caravan of these, a whole entourage traveling together. Uh, and it did this scene didn't take place at the birth. Really messing with tradition here, aren't I? But you, you, the, the nativity scenes out there, take the three wise, if you want to be accurate, take the three wise men and put them off for two years later, you know. That's pretty much what the reality of it was. Um, uh, so the wise men weren't there then, and the, you can figure it out. Herod figured it out. That's why he ki- had every, every boy killed in Bethlehem under two years old, because he knew that it was two years ago and it was up to that age. So every boy was slaughtered. Fortunately, the angel came to Joseph and said, hey, get out of there. And they went to Egypt. They were protected and they came back later after Herod had died. So the scene didn't take place. This scene didn't take place at, at the birth scene of the, of the stable or it could have been a cave wherever they were keeping animals. Uh, so this was 12 to 24 months later after the birth of Jesus, Joseph and Mary and Jesus had semi-settled in in Bethlehem for a period of time. They just hadn't made it back to, to Nazareth yet. Probably staying with families by that time because his ancestors were from there. Large caravan. And this is Herod the Great. And he's called Herod the Great for a reason because he did great building Um. He had great constructions of buildings and one of them was a temple which they, just to get political cred with the Jews that he was the ruler of, he, he expanded their temple just to get uh, cred with them. He was called Herod the Great because of his enterprises uh, and his building construction projects. Now who were these wise men? They were a mix of and I want you to get this. It's an important part here of getting our understanding of what the Christmas story is really about. It has everything to do with our understanding that God loves each one of us. Way beyond what we even realize. But the wise men were a mix of astrologers slash astronomers. They were a mix, a blend of sorcerer and scientist they had it both working in their lives they were not followers of god they were from this country this nation called babylon who 500 years earlier than that had so devastated israel and deported killed all the all the leaders and deported the survivors to their country in babylon that's where we get the story of daniel and how he was he was uh thrown into the lion's den and his three friends were thrown into the fires. These were not godly people. These were intimidating people. And these, this, this is the nation. This is the country. This is the area from the east that the wise men came from. They were sorcerers. They were astrologers. They weren't following God. But I want you to see something that's really important. God came to them in His love. He came to them. Even when they were not looking for Him. Even when they were not looking for God. They were not looking for a Savior. They were looking at the stars for their own benefit. And God came to them and spoke to them in the way that they would understand through the stars. Interesting, isn't it? How God comes to each one of us. We're not looking for Him. Don't think that you were because you weren't. Not a one of us were. I'm at the head of the list. I was a 100 miles an hour going a different direction and God got a hold of me. It completely shocked me. And Some of my friends would still be shocked that I'm doing what I'm doing today. They'd be shocked at you too. Don't look at me like that. Right? Just surprised because you weren't really looking for God and God got a hold of you. He kind of jumped on your back. He's always pursuing you. He's always after you. And it's a good thing. Thank God that He never gives up on us. So this is what's happening with these sorcerers. These these sorcerers slash scientists, they had some scientific knowledge that way ahead of their time. Way ahead of their time. They could see patterns in the solar system that, that other people at that time didn't see. But they also had that other thing going on that is dark weren't godly people, but God moved toward them with love through a star. So the star immediately begins to show us something about God, is that He's always after us. He's always showing his trying to reveal Himself to us and how much He cares for us. And so every time you think about that star, I remember when I was a kid, I heard about the Christmas story as a kid, and I remember as a five-year-old looking out the window at midnight, you <laughs> see that Christmas star. Never came.. But the star teaches us when we think about it, when we read this story, it teaches us that God's after us, that God's pursuing us, not to hurt us, not to harm us, to help us. So throughout Scripture we see that God reveals himself, get this as a seeker. He shows us that He's after something. We find Him on a continual, passionate pursuit of something. We find the Father seeking in First John. We see God scanning the earth from heaven. Psalm 14. We see His eyes running to and fro, it says, throughout the planet to find something. We find Jesus telling us that He has come to seek. Luke records that in the 19th chapter. We find God giving us a deeper glimpse through Jesus into His heart by comparing Himself to a shepherd. A shepherd who leaves 99 in order to find one. We're finding something out about God from these passages. If we read them, we'll begin to grasp the heart of God. We see that He's a father who incessantly scans the horizon for the return of a prodigal son. And He's compared with a merchant seeking fine pearls. Throughout Scripture, we encounter a God who is on a quest, a seeking, God chasing and pursuing something? What is that? The writers of the Bible demonstrate repeatedly this obsessive focus of God. He's been a seeker all along. It's within his nature. Is who He is. And yet we should startle It should startle us that this completely omniscient, self sufficient God who needs no one or nothing would come after and in this quest to seek us You and me. That's what He's after. It's not just us. It's everybody out there. That's who God is obsessively. If that's the right word, that's not even strong enough. That's His mission. That's who He's after. That's what Christmas is all about. That's the, what the birth of the Savior is all about. Is this mission, is this passion that God has. See, Christianity is unique among all other religious systems. In every other religious system, it's all about the person seeking God. In Christianity, it's all about God seeking you. You get that? Do you embrace that? This isn't about you seeking God. This is about God seeking you and just turning around and receiving. All the difference right there. The British poet Francis Thompson catches the profound nature of this reality of the seeking God. He writes of this relentless pursuit that God has in our lives In his work titled, The Hound of Heaven, he writes that as he fled from God, he couldn't outrun, quote-unquote, those strong feet that followed with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace. God is untiring in His pursuit of us, in His pursuit of the wayward, of the person like you and me who are running away from him. He just doesn't get tired or weary of chasing us. That's the heart of what we're talking about today. Paul guided his followers of Christ in Galatia to see that it was God pursuing them first. He says these words, he wrote to them, he says, God sent forth His Son. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. And he said, God sent forth His Son. You weren't even looking for His Son. And He sent Him. Where would any of us be if He hadn't come after us? There's no room for pride here. <laughs> Only humility. Humility. Because God came after you. Listen to these words that Paul wrote to the Romans. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. A hymn that Wesley wrote, If I can get this older English. Died he for me, who caused his pain for me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love! How can it be that you, my God, should die for me? Oh, I hope he can feel his passion for you. You may watch that cartoon. Pepe Lemoy, or no, not Pepe Lemoy, Pepe Le Pew. Le Pew, kind of cracks me up, you know, it's about that skunk, the skunks have a white stripe on his back, and and then there's this black cat with a, a female black cat with a white stripe on her back, and so he just immediately thinks it's a skunk and falls in love with, him, with her, and and chases her all over the place. And that kind of gives you an image of what God is like. He doesn't smell like a skunk, but He is totally obsessed with following after you. In every detail of your life, He, he it, we have really no comprehension, maybe just a little bit, of His complete love for us. And it's not wrong to camp here for a while and think about it and read the Scriptures because they bring such hope that you're not alone in this life no matter what you're going through and no matter what you've done. Do you think that there's ever anything that you could do to separate you from this love? There isn't. So by moving in love to guide the wise men with a star to a life of worship and they came with expensive gifts and they came to worship. Transformation took place. Matthew wanted the Jews to see that God was moving to all people not just the Jews. But this gift That came through the Jewish people was to bless everybody, to bless the entire earth. I'm so glad. See, they got into a big argument a little bit later. Well, you got to become a Jew first in order to follow Christ. You can read about it in Acts 15. And there's a huge, it was no small argument, no small contest. They fought and fought and bickered and um guys I'm so glad I don't have to be a jew first you know how long I would have lasted in that system about 10 minutes I am not one that i i I don't know what you're like I just don't like to be talked down to and I don't like to be held under certain criteria in order to please my god it's too late for me on that you say don't you like rules no I don't what about regulation? No, don't like those. You know why? Because on the inside, He's changed me. And those things are not a problem to me anymore. Now, there was a day I needed that. And that was the day before Christ came in and changed me. And I think I'm speaking pretty close to what's going on with a lot of you. Is that I don't need to stand up here and tell you what to do and not to do. Because Christ has changed your heart. And you know not to commit adultery. You know not to steal. You know not to lie. You know all that because when you do partake in those kinds of things, something is just crazy wrong on the inside of you. And you know, God, help me. Well, He is. He's changed you from the inside. You are a new creation. The thing that you've become has never existed before. And it's on the inside of you. And if we could just tap into that new creation, our whole life is different. It's not a life of rules and regulations. It's a life of grace and mercy. And it's wonderful. And there's nothing that compares to it. I didn't mean to yell and just passionate about this. Like nothing else. So excited about the change, the transformation that takes place, guys. If I can change, I know you can. <laughs> you don't want to know what I was like. I didn't know my wonderful, darling wife before she was saved, and <laughs> yeah, she says good thing. But that's the beauty of transformation, isn't it? Oh, where, where am I? But you may be going through that right now. You know, you're wrestling with these do's and don'ts. You're wrestling with this, this image that you have projected on God that is not true. It's absolutely not true. That He's condemning you and He's not. Do you ever wrestle with that? Can we just give that to God and say, you know, I'm not the perfect person. But God loves me and that's enough. Isaiah 65 shows us a little bit more about this heart, this passion that God has. And the prophet begins to speak this and he's speaking for God and he says, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. That's every one of us. I was found by those who did not seek me. That's the hound of heaven. <laughs> to a nation that did not call on my name. And I said, here am I. Here am I. And that's what God's speaking to every one of us is, here I am right now. You, you can have me right now. You can, you can enjoy my presence. You can be changed every day from glory to glory, from change, from image to image, from change to change, you can be transformed by this power. It's all yours. And I'm not holding back anything from you. And it's not based on what you've done or, or what you do in the future. It's just based on me because I love you. I care about you. I, I intimately care about you. I'm your Creator. And that's the message that we've got to embrace. And Paul writes this, what then... Are we any better? Not at all. Talking about us now. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Greeks alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous. Not even one. There is no one who understands. No one who seeks God. That's why I say that not one of us was looking for God. Not a one of us. And guys, there's... Outside of our doors, oh, I would say around 15,000 people that don't know God yet in our 30-mile radius. There's probably a lot more. Are we going to hold some kind of qualification above their head in our minds, in our thinking, because they're not practicing what we practice? (sighs) That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is to love them right where they are and enter into their lives. And that may be you today. You don't know how you got here. Somebody dragged you, had to go on my family, whatever. I want you to know God cares about you right where you are. And He He sees it all. He knows it all. And He absolutely loves you. Top to bottom. Inside and out. Every one of us. So let's just drop the pride. and Let's just humble ourselves and receive His unfailing love. It's very simple, but we can make it pretty complicated. And I just like this Christmas season to be simple for us. You just receive... God's love. Where you hurt the most. Where you've been disappointed the most. Just receive His grace. Where you need Him the most. God knows where that is. Even when we were enemies, God loved us. There's a lot more passages we could go through there, but I'm not getting through this message very fast, so let's jump over to see what we can find out from the shepherds. Real quickly, real briefly. The shepherds, we think, you know, we romanticize this. think these shepherds, you know, they they were out there in the field and, and then the angel appears. and You know, pictures are awesome. You know, look at that picture. Wow. But you know what? These were the lowest class of people in the whole area. These were not well to do. These were not wealthy people like the wise men. The wise men were wealthy. But these people, the shepherds, were the lowest of the low. If we could bring that picture to life, they would have smelled like shepherds. They would have been unkept. And I want you to know something. I found this. I never knew this before. There's a lot that I didn't know before this week. And one of the things that I found out was that shepherds were not allowed to testify in a court of law. Because they were so low, they were not allowed to testify. And I think it's really ironic that God would come and appear to them to testify. God doesn't know those boundaries that we put on people. God's awesome. So all we learn from the shepherds is that it doesn't matter what you pass. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how low you are. God still loves you and meets you right where you are. Not a pleasant job they did Maybe you got a job you don't like. Well, I've been there. So what's the shepherds telling us today? I mean, God cares for us, no matter what we're going through. What about the stable? So God's speaking to us through the stable too, or our cave. You know, really doesn't say what it is. We don't know. We make assumptions that that it was one thing or another, but we really are just making guesses at what the place was of the birth. Count doesn't really say and it's really not that important. What we do know is that it wasn't where my son and daughter-in-law took their baby in St James St John's in call uh, the hospital there where they take care of babies, the world's best, from what I understand. It wasn't that. It was a stable. It was a cave. There wasn't a lot that we would be thankful for. So in Luke chapter 2, this is Luke's account, it says the time came for a child to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. So from the beginning of Luke's account, really, you, if you study the Gospel of Luke, I actually had a class in this, and it's amazing, all the way through Luke, his, his emphasis is, of course, he's not writing to Jews, he's writing mainly to, to Gentiles. But one of the things that you find out about Luke is that he is making sure that everybody knows that Jesus was never born in privilege. and We're not hating the wealthy. That's God's blessing too, Right? But Jesus wasn't, God didn't pick him to be born in wealth. He picked him to be born without. And this really brings this out in the Christmas stories that they didn't have any of the nice stuff. Nothing wrong with the nice stuff, right? Because God blesses us with nice stuff. But in this situation, in the sovereignty of God, Jesus was born in a cave or in a stable. The king of all the earth was born outside of privilege. Outside of comfort. So what does that speak to you? It speaks to me that we have a God who understands our pain. He understands our lack. He understands our struggles. There's a passage in the Old Testament prophesying what Jesus is going to be like, and in one of those passages, Isaiah the prophet says that he wasn't anything to look at. The king of the earth. You think, okay, you prepared for me a body to come, it's going to be gorgeous. Wasn't anything? Spectacular to look at. You would never, you know. Here's another thing about God. I'm just going to throw to you. He not only is pursuing you constantly, but he's really sneaky about it. You know, he can come in the back door, and you just never know that that's God, because he comes through people that you would never have guessed. He's he's the master at that, and then you look back with hindsight. Right? You look in the rear view of your, in your rearview view don't you, of your life, and you look, you can look back. I know I can, and I bet a lot of you can. You look in the rear view of your, of your life, and you look back there, and you're like, you know, God used that person. I never saw that coming. You know, God used, man, God's been working all along my life, and I had no idea. Isn't that great? Isn't that so like God? He just doesn't usually come in the pomp and circumstance. He doesn't come in the great showiness. He just comes as a servant. One that nobody would really pick, and it says later in that passage that he was despised. He was despised. Not only was he not much to look at, but he was despised. This is the king of all this is the king of all the earth. And we despised him. We didn't see him coming. We didn't realize that was him. Because you know why? Because he was so human that we didn't recognize his divinity. Because he was so human, we didn't recognize that he was God. Come to us in flesh. In the Message Bible it says that. Interesting translation of that. He said that Jesus was born into the world and he moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> I read that, I had to read that four or five times. He moved into the neighborhood. What would you, and that's exactly what happened. He just moved into the neighborhood. What would you feel like if God moved into Raleigh? Would you recognize Him? Probably not, because He's so human that we, rec- we don't recognize that He's God. He moves in our hearts. We look into the past and we can see His move. He's been moving in our lives all this time. He's been moving when we haven't recognized. We've prayed and God does move and we don't recognize Him because He's so human. He moves through you. He moves through people like you. And you know what He's going to do this Christmas season? He's going to move through you again in other people's lives. And you're going to be part of somebody's rearview mirror. Isn't that exciting? They're going to look someday back and they're going to see your face and they say, man, God used that person in my life. Scripture says, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but, but the author said, therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who is tempted in every way. Bringing out again the humanity of Jesus is that He was able to be hurt. See, God on the throne, you can't hurt God on the throne. But if God came as a human, then you can kill Him. And it's exactly what we did. And it was so that we could be set free. His death for our sin. The last thing is the manger. Can God speak to us something about the manger? Well, first think about what that manger was. What was the manger? Again, we romanticize it and we we see the picture of the manger is, you know, you got some straw in there and a cute little baby Jesus in there, right? And it's part of our traditions, and we immediately think, wow, how cool that would have been to be there. There's a manger. You know what a manger is? It's a feeding trough. That wasn't cool. That was ugly. It was a feeding trough. Sloppy. Sali- cow saliva, donkey, whatever. You know, it was nasty. I'm sure they cleaned it up just a little bit and put the straw in there and put the baby on there. But I'm telling you, this was not a pleasant experience. And what did God do with that manger? Listen, the king of the world was born in that manger. Do you think he may have increased the value of that manger? What if it were being auctioned today? How much people would pay for it? Because when God touches a life, when God does something, He elevates, he, he, he increases the value. And here's what we get from the manger. He's got a whole lot better plan for you than you ever have thought. He's got a whole better plan for your life than anybody can see. Would you believe that? And everybody that you come in contact with today, this week, God, think, think, think. See them with God's eyes. God has a better plan than that person knows. God has a better plan that I can see. And the last thing did I already say that was the last thing? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> is the king in the cradle? What does that tell us? He's king. And he is worthy of worship. Let's stand. And let's do that just for a second. Let me pray for us and lead us into a a small touch of worship that you can continue either by yourself or with your family, with friends or somebody, or just by yourself. Let this be the first part of your worship this week. Father, while you open our eyes to so many things that we've maybe glanced over and not really embraced in this whole scene, this whole setting of when you came into this life. And we may forget a lot of things, but God let us remember that there was a king in that cradle. There was a king in that manger. And he came to give us life. And not even just 30, 30 some years later... He would stand and He would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This baby grew up to say these things and we know that He's not just a baby. We know that He's not just human. We know that as God, it's You coming to us when we weren't looking for You. You chased us down and You found us. And we're turning around right now and saying, God, we love You. We thank You for not leaving us the way that we were going, but coming after us the hound of heaven coming into our lives. God, thank You. God, thank You. God, thank You. Father, thank You. Holy Spirit, You're welcome in our lives. Speak to us. Thank You for Your patience with us. Give us the comfort that we need right now in what we're experiencing so that we can comfort others that are experiencing similar things. Trials, situations, difficulties. God, You're bigger than them all. Thank You for Your help. Thank You for Your kindness. Thank You for Your gift, the gift of Your Son. We worship You and honor You. Would you worship Him for a second? Just honor Him right now. In your heart, in your mouth, in your mind, think about the greatness of this God, the Creator, who has not left you alone, but continually comes with His goodness, His plans. The Scripture says that I know the plans that I have for you and that they're good to prosper you. And to give you a future. And that future is good. God, thank you for a good future. Thank you for your loving kindness to us. And I pray that you would use each one of us, especially during this week, there's a lot of depression. There's a lot of loneliness. And I pray that you give us inroads into people's hearts to bring encouragement and strength and comfort. That no one around us would not feel your love. Everyone around us would be able to feel your love. Not just know it, but feel it. Not just a mental thing, but a hard thing. Thank you, God. Use us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God's so good. Thank you, God.